Would you open your Bibles, please, to Mark chapter 4. Mark 4, Matthew 13, and Luke 8, all dealing with the parable of the sower and the seed. Mark 4, Matthew 13, and Luke chapter 8. It's going to take me this week and one more week to finish all of this. We've been learning together that Jesus teaches us a great deal about the ministry of planting. The ministry of what? If we learn together that discipleship is it's not an eternal situation. Discipleship is a door, it's a transition, it's not an endless process. We learn that Jesus teaches us the twofold planting of world evangelism. The first, the planting of the incorruptible seed, as Peter says, is planted in our heart. And he said, that's how you're born again. He said, you're born again by the planting of the incorruptible seed of the Word of God in your heart. And then he says, secondly, then God takes you and plants you in the harvest field of this earth. And that is how evangelism is done. The Great Commission is not about spending your entire life in one person's life. It is about moving and planting. Everybody say, moving and planting. We then began to learn the principle of planting regarding new believers. We said productive planting requires being concerned about where you plant the seed of the gospel, that otherwise our evangelism is simply wasted seed. It's what? That the seed has to be understood. And we saw that the Greek word for understand is actually a colloquialism. It refers to a uniting that the Word must unite with the human heart. And it cannot do that if the mind is veiled, if there are strongholds of the heart, if the seed is, is thrown on, on the pathway where there's too much movement taking place. You're not going to get people saved when their life is full of distractions or there are theological strongholds in their mind or their mind is veiled and we learn how to deal with that situation. Then we began to talk about the fact that Jesus did not teach eternal security. Jesus, in fact, teaches exactly the opposite. There are those who believe for a while, Jesus said, and then they fall away. Everybody say, fall away. There are many people who get genuinely born again, but their salvation is very short-lived because they have no root in themselves. And when trouble or persecution come along because of the Word, Jesus said they only believe for a while and they quickly fall away. So we learned how to help new believers put down roots. Everybody say, put down roots. Now we're talking about the third stage. And this is in lives like ours. Now we're talking about long-term believers not that they backslide, not that they fall away from their salvation, not that they only believe for a little while, but we're talking about long-term believers and kudzu grows up in their lives. And remember I showed you what kudzu was. It was something I grew up with as a boy. It is a weed that they say ate the southern United States. This stuff literally grows at one foot a week. Everybody say one foot a week. And very quickly, you will see it grow over the top of an entire forest. It will grow over the top of houses. Come back in about a month, and that house will be completely covered over. It will grow over the top of cars. You leave cars parked out in an open field, and in, a, in, in just a couple of weeks, those cars will be completely covered over, and you won't see them anymore. 
kudzu. Everybody say weeds. And Jesus teaches us that there are three types of weeds that when they enter into the Christian heart, they grow. And when they grow, they crowd out the Word of God, making it unfruitful. That does not mean the person is not saved. It means that the Word is no longer active and working in their heart. All the Scriptures we taught about, how the Word is alive, how the Word is working within our lives, the Word is not producing faith in us anymore. The Word is not producing spiritual growth and development in us anymore. We are literally a plateaued Christian. We are a what? We're just coming to church. We're just existing. But there's not a lot of spiritual life. There's not a lot of change happening within our lives. Then we focused our last study ending on the first of these weeds. We called it the cares of life. Now I want to pick up from there and begin to talk about the second type of kudzu, or the second type of weed that enters into the Christian life, as we learned last week, just as we are, are living our life. And that weed is called the deceitfulness of riches. Everybody say, the deceitfulness, ulitenatan, the deceitfulness of riches. Mark 4, verse 19. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. Matthew chapter 13, 22. As for what was sown among the thorns, Jesus said, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of the riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. Everybody say, the deceitfulness of riches. Now, you look at that and you go, okay, I don't ever want to be prosperous. All right, if, if wealth and riches can bring deceit in my life and make the word unfruitful, then, then I want to be poor. And that would be a very intellectually dishonest, but a very common reaction to the doctrines that God will bless us. Now, brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that God does want to prosper us. God does not want us to live hand-to-mouth. Look at the person next to you and say, not live hand-to-mouth. Now, most of us in this auditorium this evening, we have been through days where we lived hand-to-mouth. How many of you know what I'm talking about? We, we never had much. We lived hand-to-mouth. That was not a nice way to live. I will never forget this guy. He was a friend of mine from Singapore, pastor from Singapore. He came to Manila back in the early 80s when life was so hard. And he said, oh, Dave, it must be so marvelous to pastor poor people. And I looked at him and I said, excuse me? He said, well, you know, I'm taking this class right now on the theology of poverty and how wonderful it is for people to be poor. I said, you know, the only people that think that it's wonderful to be poor are people who have never been poor. And everybody said, I mean, please, Proverbs is very clear. The destruction of, po everybody say, poverty destroys the poor. When you don't have enough food to eat, when you don't have proper nutrition, when you don't have proper clothes, I mean, please, go with me down to Aroma one day. And you'll see 35 and 40-year-old people who look like they're 75 or 80 years old. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Poverty is the destruction of the poor, according to Proverbs. Now, we know that God does not want us to live in poverty. 
Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 8. The Lord will command the blessing on your barns and in all that you undertake, and he will bless you in the land the Lord your God has given you. That was God's promise to Israel, to a nation of slaves who had lived generations in poverty. He said, no, you're not going to keep living this way anymore. Deuteronomy 28, 11. And the Lord will make you abound in prosperity. Everybody say abound. Abound in prosperity. He made this promise to people who had come out of slavery. Third John, verse 2, King James. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. But then Paul teaches us in 1 Timothy 6, 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. We'll get more into that in a few minutes. Nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. We'll get to that in a few minutes. But now look at this. Look at how he ends that verse. But on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Everybody say, God provides us richly with everything. John 10, verse 10. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and life more abundantly. It, one of the devotions that we'll be doing next week is on God's provision. And I just take you back to one of the beautiful illustrations of it as Jesus walked the shores of Galilee and he fed the 5,000 men and the women and children that were with them. And it's fascinating that Jesus doesn't give them, okay, okay, this is how much calories that you need. This is how much each person gets. Let's weigh it out. Nobody should get too much. The Bible says they ate all they wanted. They were full and ate all they wanted, and there were still basketfuls left over. God always provides in abundance. And everybody said? Now, but you have to understand that just like everything else in life, things can be misused. Prosperity can be a great blessing. It can share the gospel. It can do great things for the kingdom. But prosperity also has the potential of deception. Now, the Greek word here for deception literally means to create a false impression. Fraud, deceit, trickery. Prosperity can trick you. Prosperity can create a false impression with you. Now let me show you some of these false impressions, some of this trickery that prosperity will develop in your lives. The first false impression is pride. 1 Timothy 6.17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, is the English Standard Version. New Living Translation says not to be proud. New International Version says not to be arrogant. It is amazing. I've been your pastor, and please, if, if I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but please open your hearts and just listen. I've been your pastor for over 40 years, and I've watched people that we came out of nothing together. And as soon as some people get a little bit, all of a sudden, I'm moving up in life. All of a sudden, I'm too good to sit next to those people. All of a sudden, oh, that person doesn't smell good. I'm going to sit someplace else. Oh, I don't want my children in children's church because there are poor children in children's church. I will never forget the family that walked up to me years ago when we were doing my father's house and we were feeding the street kids and bringing the street kids to church on Sunday. 
And the family that walked up to me and said, I'm taking my children out of children's church and we're going to transfer to another church, Pastor. I said, why? Have we offended you in some way? No, I just don't want my children near poor people. I said, well, my daughter's in there in children's church just with everybody else. What's your problem? You know, some people, they get just a little bit more than they used to have. And it's like their nose gets stuck up in the air. Are we still here? It's just like all of a sudden their nose is way up there and they think that they're better than other people. Now, now, brothers and sisters, please, thank God he's given you a new house and everybody said, thank God you have a car and everybody said, but that doesn't change who you are. Having a little bit of money doesn't make you a better person. It doesn't make you better than anybody else. Only God changes us, not money. I didn't hear you. But money will create an impression within you, a false impression, that somehow you're better than other people, that somehow you shouldn't sit with those people. And we're going to get into this in 1 Corinthians before long. We, we left off two years ago in, before lockdown with the 1 Corinthians chapter 7 where people when they got saved they wanted to change their social status because they're ooh la la now. At some point we had to recognize it doesn't matter whether you have a gazillion pesos in the bank or you don't even have a bank account. Every human being is equal before God. I, I, I didn't hear you. I didn't hear you. Well, you know, Pastor Summerall, I have a, a, a BMW now. Wonderful. Bring somebody to church in it in Jesus' name. But that doesn't make you better than somebody who come to church in a jeepney. Oh, Pastor Summerall, I don't want dirty people in my car. Excuse me? We used to be those dirty people. You know, one of the things God kept after the people of Israel about, he said, don't you ever forget that you were once slaves. Don't you ever mistreat people because don't you ever forget where you came from. Now, beloved, at some point or another, we need to remember where we came from. If by, by the grace of God, we would still be there. And we keep the pride, we keep the arrogance out of our heart. Just because we have nicer clothes now, we have nicer shoes now, and we have a nicer home to live in now, doesn't mean that we're better than anybody else. Are we still here? Are we still here? You know, people get a little bit of prosperity, and they become so shy. No, they become foolish. Secondly, and maybe this one's even more difficult, the false impression of self-sufficiency. Psalms chapter 49, verse 6. Those who trust in their wealth and boast in the abundance of their riches. Psalms 52, verse 7. See the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches. You know, there are people that when they get a little bit, they get this attitude. I can handle that. Everybody say, I can handle that. I didn't hear you. Paul says it this way in 1 Timothy 6 verse 17, nor set their hope on the uncertainty of riches. You, you get a little bit of money 
and you think that your wealth will protect you. You, you. you think that your wealth will take care of you. You think that your wealth will provide for you. But Paul said, your wealth is so uncertain. Now, beloved, please, we're entering into a very delicate time economically as a nation. We have a huge debt crisis that, that's going to have to start coming due down near the end of this year or maybe into the early part of next year. And all those debts begin to come due. Interest rates are going to go up. The government's going to raise taxes. We've seen the price of gasoline go up. We see the effects of inflation. All of these things, forgive me, they make wealth completely uncertain. Maybe because I'm a little older. I remember the 1980s. In the 1980s, when, please forgive me, if you had a million pesos in the bank in 1980, you were a very, 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 very prosperous person. But then when the peso devalued from 6 to 1 to 18 to 1 to 28 to 1 to 48 to 1, your peso wasn't worth much. Folks, money is here today and gone tomorrow. You don't put your hope in money. You put your hope in God. God will provide. I didn't hear you. You don't worry. Well, you know, gasoline might go to 100 pesos a liter. Well, so what if it does? Be careful. Be a good steward, yes. But don't be afraid. God will provide. But, you know, if you put your hope in that bank account, it's not going to last long. It'll be eaten up by inflation. I mean, please, you got a million pesos in the bank. Wonderful. But when you've got inflation, now, now I'm not talking about what the government admits. I'm talking about the real deal. We're running probably 20, 22% real inflation right now. That means every year your money is worth 20% less than it was in January. Next January, your money will be worth 20% less than it is right now. You are going down. Everybody say, you're going down. This is why Paul said, don't put your hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Are we still here? Don't put your hope in your car because, oh, I, I'm going to do, I'm going to do, what is it? Not grab now. What, what's the, I'm going to do Uber? Which one is working now? One of them went out of business. Grab is working. Oh, I can always make money with grab. I'm going to buy this car and I got my trust in this car. This car will provide for my family. I can do grab. And then lockdown. And there's nobody calling grab except for food deliveries on a motorcycle. Now, beloved, please, I, I don't say this to, to get after anybody, but please hear my heart today. Wealth will trick you. Prosperity will create a false impression that you can relax now and take it easy. No, every day you read your Bible, you pray, you put your hope in God in Jesus' name. The third false impression, the pride of our own achievements. Everybody say, the pride of my achievements. Deuteronomy 8, beginning with verse 11. Moses warned the people of Israel. He said, take care, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied, all that you have is multiplied. Everybody say, prosperity. Then when your heart be lifted up, you get proud. 
and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of slavery. Verse 17, beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand has gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as that is this day. Beloved, let's remember where we came from. And let's remember that everything we have, God gave to us. I didn't hear you. That house that you have, God gave that house to you. That business that you have, God gave that business to you. And sometimes you just have to humble yourself a little bit and go, you know what? I am what I am, like Paul said, by the grace of God. I have what I have by the grace of God. You know, I've watched some of our businessmen over the last 42 years go from wow to whoa, and then back to wow. And it felt like a roller coaster. But you know, when you've been from wow to whoa, you get kind of humble after that, and you never think that you're all that great. Because you realize that when you were wow and when you were whoa, your abilities never changed. Your intelligence never changed. God blessed you. I, I didn't hear you. Never think I've built this career. Never think I've built this business. Never think I've built this prosperity for my family. Always go, you know what? I am what I am and I have what I have by the grace of God in Jesus' name. Now these deceptions, these deceptions when they get into your life of pride in who you are, what you are, pride of your own accomplishments, the concept of self-sufficiency, when these things get into our heart, there is an effect upon our spiritual lives. Do you remember the rich young ruler, Mark 4, verses 17 to 23? His wealth kept him from his destiny. Now remember with me that story. You can look it up when you get home. Mark 10, verses 17 to 23. Remember with me the story. This is a young man. He's the ruler of a synagogue, so he's like the pastor of a local church. He's young. That means he's very intelligent and very successful to already have a position in the community as the ruler of the synagogue. He comes up to Jesus. He said, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, you know the commandments. The young man said, Jesus, I've kept all these from my youth up. And he always quotes the things that are relationship with people. Everybody say, with people. None of the things he discusses are walk with God. It's all with people. And then Jesus looked at him, and Jesus, the Bible says, loved him. And he said, tell you what, sell what you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. Now, you talk about an invitation. He said, I want eternal life. Remember how Jesus defined eternal life in John 17. Eternal life is an experiential knowledge of the Father and an experiential knowledge of the Son. This young man, he said, I want to know God. That, that was his request, literally. 
I want to know God. I want to experience God. And Jesus said, great, sell what you've got, give it to the poor, come follow me. Experience me. Now, how many people did Jesus ever say, come and follow me? This young man could have been one of the 12 apostles. This young man could have had a destiny that would shape and change the world. But instead, he went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. He was deceived by his wealth. Everybody say, deceived. And Jesus closes that out. He looks at the disciples in verse 23 and said, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Why? Because it's so deceptive. It makes you self-sufficient rather than walk in faith. It makes you proud rather than humble yourself so that he can exalt you in due time. It takes away everything necessary for advancement in the kingdom of God if you're not careful. Think with me to the church of Laodicea, the lukewarm church. Everybody said, believers who were lukewarm. Revelation 3, verses 15. Jesus said, I know your works, that you're neither hot nor cold. Would that you were either hot or cold. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you from my mouth. For you say, these were their words about themselves. He said, you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I have need of nothing. He said, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. A church fell into lukewarmness. A church fell into mediocrity. Just going to church and going through the motions. They weren't hot. They weren't cold. They were just kind of hanging out. Everybody said, just going to church. No big deal. No passion. No flame. No zeal. They were just hanging out. Why? They had been deceived by riches. Now you look at this and you go, okay, pastor. We know that God wants us to prosper. We know that there's this kudzu, this, this weed of, of the deceitfulness of riches that just as we live our life will enter into our life and it will grow. And if we're not careful, it will grow and it will choke out the word and make us unfruitful, just like the church of Laodicea. How do we overcome that? Well, first of all, you need to understand that there were great men of God in the Bible that never fell for the deception. Think with me of Abraham. Genesis 13, verse 2, Abraham was very rich in livestock, silver and gold. And he is our father of faith. It is he who believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So here was a man that never fell for the false impressions of wealth. Think with me of Moses. Moses was raised in Pharaoh's household. He would have been from the richest family, and really, in those days, the, the, the Pharaohs were the most powerful empire in the world. He was from the number one richest family in the number one richest empire in the world. But he didn't fall for the deceptions of wealth. Think of Isaac, Abraham's son. How many times have we studied? In this way, he became rich until he became very wealthy. But he never fell 
for the false impressions of wealth. Think with me of Job, how wealthy Job was. And God said he was blameless. And then after Satan had stolen it from him, God restored twofold and made him even more wealthy. Think with me of Jesus. He was likewise tempted in all things, just as we are. How often have I taught you the wealth that came into Jesus' life in that first trip of the Magi as Jesus was endowed as the new king? All the wealth that transferred to him. How I taught you during school of the cross that he wore the undergarment of a wealthy man woven of one piece of thread. Jesus did not live in poverty, but Jesus did not fall for the false impressions of wealth. Think with me of the Apostle Paul. He said, I know how to have nothing, and he said, I know how to abound. He never fell for the false impressions of wealth. So how do we, how do we prosper in life so that our families never go hungry? Our families have a good home to live in. We have good businesses. We have good careers. How do we prosper in life? And not see this kudzu, this, this weed, enter in and grow up in our heart until it chokes out the word and makes it unfruitful. Number one, we make a commitment to serve. We make a commitment to what? Hebrews 11.36. He considered the reproach of Christ, referring to Moses, greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking for his reward. He made a commitment to serve God and to serve the people of God. I told you after my first trip to Ghana years ago, one of the things that so impressed me about the churches in Ghana is they have a, a practice, a culture in their church that the more successful you are in life, the lower the position you take in God's house. And so when you, you go to one of their churches, you'll find it's the doctors, it's the surgeons, it's the lawyers, it's the very successful contractors, the businessmen that clean the toilets and park the cars. Are we still here? Because they said, Pastor, it's good for us to serve. I walked into the toilet, and here's this very successful-looking guy in a very expensive-looking suit and very beautiful shoes mopping the floor in the toilet. And they introduced me to him. He was a banking executive. I looked at my host. I said, why is he cleaning the toilet? It's his privilege to serve the people. Whoa. Look at the person and go, whoa. I didn't hear you. Would that be too difficult for you? Are you too good to serve? Are we still here? Does it prick our pride to even think about it? But how did Moses overcome it? He served. Forgive me, how did Jesus overcome it? 
He served. He said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And he knelt down and he washed the feet of the disciples, taking the job of the lowest slave, washing the excrement off of the feet of the apostles with his own hands. It's amazing. When you serve and you're committed to serve, the deceitfulness of wealth is going to get a hold of you. But notice I said committed. Everybody say committed. It's one thing to participate. It's another thing to be committed. Halimbawa. The old story. The chicken and the pig. They were in the farmyard one day. And they were getting, and the, the owners had a party, and they were getting ready to serve breakfast to their friends the next morning. And the pig and the chicken were talking. And the chicken said, we're going to provide breakfast tomorrow morning. I get to, and the pig looked at him and said, you're just going to participate. You're going to drop some eggs. I'm committed. I can't tell stories and jokes. In other words, it's the bacon, and he's going to die to produce the bacon. Ah, I should let Sister Bev come up and tell Joe. I, I can't forget it. But there's a difference between participation and commitment. Maybe something of this culture needs to get within us. Oh, Pastor Samuel, I'm not going to mop a floor. Who do you think I am? You're a child of God, and what a privilege it is to serve God's people and to serve God. I, I, I didn't hear you. I, I didn't hear you. Secondly, we commit ourselves to generosity. Everybody say committed to generosity. Proverbs 21, verse 26. Some people are always greedy for more, but the godly love to give. Some people are always greedy for more, but the godly love to The way you keep the deceitfulness of riches out of your life is you live a life of generosity. And I'm not just talking about in church. I'm talking about every day of your life. You're generous with people. You're generous with the poor. You're generous with people on your street. You're generous with your friends. You love to give. You what? Now, now greed and generosity are not going to be in the same heart. I, I'm sorry. The, these two terms are antithetical. You're not going to find an attitude of greed and an attitude of generosity in the same heart. People say, oh, Pastor Samuel, I don't ever want, I don't ever want greed to come into my life. No problem. Just be a giver. Be a giver with your family. Be a giver with your relatives. Be a giver with your friends. Just be generous. Everybody say, be generous on every occasion. And you're going to find, you know what? Riches don't deceive you anymore because you love to give. Everybody say, I love to help other people. Now, I'm going to stop there. I'm not going to get into the next one, which is the desire for other things. I know this is hard stuff. I know this is difficult stuff. I know this is very confrontational. And I, I don't teach anything to hurt. But brothers and sisters, God wants to prosper you. But you have to understand, like every great blessing, there's a double-edged sword. 
there is an ability of wealth to deceive us. It doesn't have to happen, but we have to make a choice. I, I didn't hear you. Now, I want you to pray with me about something. In just a minute, I want to lead you in a prayer. And we're going to talk to God. And we're going to remind God that everything we have is from Him. Do you remember King David at the end of his life? Gave the greatest generational offering in the Bible. Emptied the king's accounts. I mean, basically, forgive me, Solomon took over after his father emptied the bank accounts. Sometimes you feel sorry for Solomon because David emptied the bank accounts. We're going to build a temple of God. But David said, God, who are we that we should give as generously as this? Everything we have, God, you gave to us. David never was deceived by wealth. He recognized everything I have, God gave me. I didn't hear you. He recognized God as his source. I want us to pray and tell God that we trust him to provide in the days ahead. Beloved, we don't know what's ahead. I mean, please, some of us have lived through the 80s, and, and I don't ever want to see those days come back again. But we know what it was like to have 52% interest rates. We, we remember Jobo bills, and you can look them up online and study them on Google. We remember those days when the IMF controlled the nation. And the IMF controlled our financial policies. Every time the IMF would come to the country and say, you must mop up liquidity. How much more can you mop up? Are you, you know, you got to tighten your belt. I used to think, dude, if we tighten our belt anymore, there's going to be nothing there but belt. We remember those days. I don't know the future. But we need to begin to pray now. Lord, I trust you to always provide for my family. I trust you to always put food on the table for my children. They're talking about a worldwide food shortage because of the war up in the Ukraine. 25% of all of the wheat in the world is produced by Ukraine and Russia, and there will be no wheat harvest this year. 25% of all the grain leaves. And you know what? They say it will hit Southeast Asia and East Asia the worst. In other words, yeah. The West is going to take, forgive me, the West is going to take it all. Thank God we like rice. But you look at all of this stuff and you just go, Father, we remember you always put food on our tables. You've always provided. We're not afraid of tomorrow. This is something that has to get within you. God has given us good years, but don't let those good years, the prosperity of those good years, create false impressions within you. You might have a lot of money in the bank. Tell that to the island of Cyprus, where the government took away 50% of everybody's bank account by law in one night. Oh, the government needs money. It's going bankrupt and they confiscated the accounts of the people. 
Wealth is uncertain. God is faithful. Would you lift your hands before the Lord? We need to nothing. Father, I don't know the future. I don't know the future. But I know you. And I love you. I have watched you all of my life. I've watched your faithfulness. I've watched your provision. I've watched your goodness. And Father, I recognize everything I have is because of your grace and your mercy. Father, I trust you with my future. I trust you with the future of my family. I trust you with my education. I trust you with the business that you have given me. Father, I ask you in Jesus' name to let your provision flow to my family. That my family will always walk in abundance. And Father, never let hard times put greediness and stinginess in my life. Let me have a generous heart. You have always promised that the generous man will himself be well watered. Lord, let blessings flow to my life that I can be generous on every occasion. And I thank you for it, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen. Father, we don't know tomorrow. But Lord, let there be no fear. Let there be no fear in the hearts of your people. Father, in Jesus' name, we've seen your faithfulness all through the years in good times and bad times. Father, let there be a humility in our hearts, a humility, Lord, birthed in the knowledge of your grace and your mercy upon us. And Father, let there be no fear in the hearts of the young people that they will finish their educations in Jesus' name that the tuition fees will always be there for their families, that they will not be left behind, Lord, that there be no fear. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you take your communion, please? Would you take the bread? Ulitanatan, this bread represents his body. Hung on a tree for me to take the curse of the law. He took the curse of failure and poverty and sickness and disease. That the blessings of Abraham and the covenants of promise could flow to my life. I remember, I remember what Jesus did for me. Jesus Let us partake of the bread together. Ulitanatan, this cup, this cup represents, his blood, represents his blood 
that washed away all the sin of all my past. I am so grateful that I am not just forgiven, I'm justified. There is no guilt from my past that can destroy my future. The blood of Jesus has washed away all my sins. I'm born again. No past because of the blood of Jesus. I remember what Jesus did for me. Let us partake of the cup together. Oh, my Jesus. just sat down and thought about Jesus. He left the glories of heaven, walking on streets of transparent gold, and he walked the dirty, nasty roads of Israel. He slept in the bottom of a boat. He washed the disciples' feet. Have you ever noticed he never acted like he was better than anybody else. Are we still here? He said, I didn't come to be served. He said, I came to serve. If you'll keep your eyes focused on Jesus, provision will always be there. And you'll never be deceived by the weeds of wealth getting in your heart. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Are we still here? And you say, oh, pastor, I'm starting to have a problem. I just, okay, come to church next Sunday and I'll give you a mop and you can clean all the toilets in Jesus' name. It, it's really simple. You say, pastor, you don't do things like that. I clean the toilets. You can clean the toilet too. Are we still here? <laughs> Are you still here? It's amazing how serving people go down to Aroma and pass out the food to those little children. Look at their big smiles. 
go buy Jollibee. Feed a bunch of kids Jollibee in aroma. Not eating puck puck. Puck puck. No. The real thing. Not from the garbage. Real spaghetti. Real chicken with all the meat still on it. Watch the smiles on their face. Generosity. Service. It's good for the heart in Jesus' name. Everybody say, it's good for me in Jesus' name. And everybody said, I better be quiet.